Illinois has a new state superintendent of schools. Tony Sanders took over that job in February. I sat down with him this week to talk about his approach to education and where he thinks Illinois public schools are heading. That interview coming up on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Tony Sanders took over the job of State Superintendent of Schools last month. He succeeded Carmen Ayala, who retired after a 40-year career in education. The state superintendent is the chief state school officer for Illinois. For people unfamiliar with the office, it oversees the day-to-day operations of a department that supervises more than 850 school districts in the state. That includes establishing curriculum standards for all subjects that are taught, administering annual standardized tests known as the Illinois Assessment of Readiness, issuing teacher licenses, and much, much more. The person is hired by the State Board of Education, which is appointed by the governor. Sanders was most recently the superintendent of Elgin's U46 school district, the state's second largest district behind Chicago public schools. He takes over the state job at a time when schools are still recovering from the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic and as the state continues trying to bring all school districts up to an adequate level of funding. I sat down with Sanders earlier this week to talk about the challenges he faces and how he plans to approach the job. I started off by asking him how he likes the job so far. I love it. So far, every every day, it's been wonderful getting to know uh, the staff and the agency, getting to know uh, some of the other leaders in the state, legislators. Um, every day has been different, which is what I expected, uh, but I'm learning a lot as I go. I also asked Sanders about the agency's budget request. Under the evidence-based funding formula adopted in 2017, the state is supposed to add at least $350 million each year with that money targeted toward the least adequately funded districts. This year, the agency asked for the minimum $350 million, despite pleas from advocacy groups who argued for a bigger increase. Sanders explained why he supports sticking to the original plan. So even before I joined the state board, my position on it uh, with the advocates was that we should continue to push for the $350 additional million, uh, which is what we asked for when evidence-based funding passed. Um, going back in time, I wanted to hold true to the commitment that the state made to the $350 million, but not ask for more. Um, I meant it for the long run to make sure that we're able to sustain that funding year over year at the $350 million level rather than a one-time bump of five hundred. So I was fully on board with three hundred and fifty. but even as a former student, uh, school district leader, I was not supportive of the five fifty that's being requested. Now, it's been estimated that at that rate, it's going to take like 30 years mm-hmm. to get to uh, where we're supposed to be. At the end of that 30 years, what do you tell the kids who went to underfunded schools all that time? Well, I, the, the blessing of, with EBF is that it is, a, it is starting to make a difference in, in school districts across the state. If you, um, you know, the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability just did a report that talked about um, all the benefits that have come from the, the passage of evidence-based funding. I can tell you as a former district leader, if we had not had evidence-based funding, we would not have survived the pandemic. It, it gave us the opportunity 
as soon as as soon as we got our first payment to to order computers for students, that we were moving towards one to one devices as a school district. So the the EBF is working is working appropriately, um, but the increase year over year and that commitment to year over year is is closing the gaps for the school districts that are that are more poverty stricken. And so I, th I think it is making a difference. Um, there is still though kind of a negative correlation between district wealth and your tax rates. Absolutely. Uh, the poor districts are still paying much higher tax rates than the wealthier districts. How long is it going to take to even out that curve? I, that, that's the, the $10 billion question. Is I, I don't know when it's going to level out. I hope that it does level out as the state's commitment grows and grows. There should be an offset at the, at the local property taxes, within local property taxes, so that communities like Rockford, like East St. Louis, and others can see their property tax rate start to, to come down a little bit. Uh, but you're right. It's, we do know that as long as the, the primary driver of local, prop, uh, of local school districts is, is property values, um, we know that we'll always have the issue of haves and have-nots uh, across the state of Illinois. We then turned our attention to the state assessments, the main tool for measuring how well students are doing on the basic subjects of reading, writing, and math. Recently, there's been discussion about scrapping the annual end-of-year assessments and instead measuring student progress multiple times throughout the year. Some people, however, are concerned about students and teachers spending too much time on testing, so I asked Sanders what he thinks about the current testing program. So, I'm studying right now the, the recommendations that came forward from the Center for Assessment uh, as, well, as well as our State Assessment Review Committee. Uh, I have a meeting with them in the coming weeks to try to get more details. Uh, I agree with some of what the Center for Assessment was trying to do uh, in terms of shortening the assessment, um, trying to make sure that the data comes back to school districts in a more timely manner. Um, but I also understand the pushback to doing the assessments three times a year. I, I do understand where the field was coming from and their pushback on, on that. Uh, in my estimation, the best assessments that, of kids are the ones that happen um, in the moment closest in time to that student based on a, an actual lesson. So the common formative assessments that teachers use are the ones that really will drive instruction on a day-to-day -day basis, which is where I think we need to invest more of our time and energy. Do you think people pay too much attention to those report cards, especially the reading, writing, math scores? They're important, but they're just a, a piece of the picture. So I, I, I know that we continue to see groups take just that one proficiency score in both reading and math and uh, make headlines out of those. And certainly that is a piece of the story, but they have to recognize that Illinois has high standards for what we consider to be meets and exceeds on the IAR test that, that's being publicized. And it doesn't give credit for district's growth. Uh, how are students growing within a school district? It doesn't give credit for school climate and culture through the five essentials. It doesn't speak to um, anything relative to advanced placement, dual credit, and all the great work that's happening across schools in the state of Illinois. Because if you look only at those scores, you would think only 25 or 30 percent of the kids are performing at grade level and yet half or more of them are getting into college. Yeah, absolutely more so. We do have really high standards when it comes to the IAR assessment and 
Just to give you another example, we're rated number six in the country by U.S. News and World Reports for public education K through 12. Um, on the NAEP assessment, the National Assessments for Educational Preparedness, we, we rank equal to or, or better than other states of comparable size. So it's I compare it to baseball fields. The outfield determines whether or not you hit a home run, and you can't compare Fenway Park to Wrigley Field uh, because the home run at both of those parks are different. And that's that's what we see happening is people trying to put our scores up against other states, not recognizing that we have different playing fields. We then turned our attention to the politics of education. With school board elections coming up April 4th, more and more outside groups on both the right and the left have been getting involved in local school board campaigns. And throughout the country, local school board meetings have sometimes devolved into culture war battlegrounds amid debates over the teaching of black history, critical race theory, and how to accommodate transgender students. So I asked Sanders what it's like seeing schools being used as instruments in the culture wars. It's unfortunate. I, I mean, I you want to see the public involved. I absolutely, yeah. absolutely. As a former district leader and as the state uh, state superintendent, I want to see people involved in in their local elections. I want to see people run for the school board, but I want to see them run for the for the purpose of uplifting. Um, public education and the children that are served in public schools. Again, I think it's unfortunate because school districts are, school boards are inherently apolitical. Um, school board members do not, are, are not elected by party. Um, they are nonpartisan and, and that's the way that they were created. Uh, it's also important to remember that school board members are the only, in Illinois, one of the few elected positions that receive no pay. It's strictly yeah. a voluntary position that people sign up to do because they care about their schools and they care about their communities. And so I think it's unfortunate, and I think it's driving people that might otherwise want to be involved in public education, uh, kind of driving them out of um, out of public service, unfortunately. We've also seen action from the legislature saying you need to teach this, this, and this in African-American history teach Asian-American history, Native American history now. Illinois only requires two years of social studies. Um, how do you pack all of that stuff in to such a limited required curriculum? So I think you have to do it. Uh, so there's like 46 different curricular mandates that are similar to the ones that you just, that you just noted. Um, there's the uh, Irish famine. There's Mexican deportation. Uh, so the list is, is long, but I continue to say that school districts that are doing the right work are uplifting all of their cultures within their curriculum. So you don't have to fit it into the specifically just the two years of social studies in high school. You can build it in, across your curriculum to make sure that you're uplifting all cultures in the state of Illinois or within your community, within your curriculum, uh, regardless of whether it's social studies, math, reading. So you can build it in in multiple ways. So, and I'm, I'm sure these ideas are born out of a desire to have better social studies education uh, so that kids come out of school with better knowledge. There's a saying in the business world that you can't improve what you don't measure. Mm -hmm. And we don't measure social studies. It's not part of the Illinois assessment of readiness. Um, so how do we know whether schools are actually doing it? 
It's a great point. Uh, I, I mean, I think you're right. We don't measure it on the state assessments, but we do know that school districts have to teach social studies. They have to have civics, government. There's a multitude of classes that kids have to take before they graduate. So we know that it's occurring. Um, it's just not assessed on a statewide assessment. You're right. We also talked more generally about the whole concept of outcomes-based education. That's the idea that schools should be graded on the basis of how much students are learning as measured on those standardized tests. It's an idea that got its first big boost during the Reagan administration and the 1983 report from the National Commission on Excellence in Education called A Nation at Risk. That report painted a grim picture of the state of education in America and it fueled a growing sentiment at the time that American public schools were failing, a sentiment that some people still share today. Out of that grew the new focus on standardized tests in reading, writing, and math, to the detriment, some say, of subjects like social studies, music, art, and cultural history. So I asked Sanders whether he sees the pendulum swinging back the other way. I think there continues to be a shift in public education. I, I think you're right. I think the, the Nation at Risk report did get us to focus more on reading and, and math more than any other subjects. Just like the Sputnik launch before that got kids more involved in science. But I think as we, I think you're seeing a shift back more beyond just reading and math into more science, social studies, arts uh, across all school districts. We talk about STEAM education, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the STEM plus art. Yeah. Um, so you do see uh, districts continue to invest in their curriculum across all areas, regardless of whether it's measured or not. And I'm also hearing from other states that communities, especially the business community, is a lot more interested now in what are called soft skills, uh, citizenship, showing up to work on time. Are we shifting back to where we were before a nation at risk? So I, I think to say perhaps a little bit, and I, and I, I like the term human skills because yeah. it's, it's just the things that we need to know to be able to survive in, in, our, in our environments and to get along with one another. So making sure that you're at work on time, making sure you know how to uh, even balance your checkbook or some of the skills that employers are looking for these days. Um, so that it, it could be part of the shift, but I think we continue to return back to the concept of the whole child and how do we meet the needs of the whole child beyond just the academics? How are we making sure that kids feel uh, that their social emotional needs are also being met at the same time? We, we cannot forget that they're children and they, they need to be... Um, uh, recognized in multiple ways beyond just their academic performance. Our conversation was recorded on Tuesday, March 28th, the day after another deadly school shooting in America, this time in Nashville, Tennessee, where three children and three adults were killed. It's a phenomenon that has become all too common in the United States, and one that has left many parents wondering how safe their children are in school. So I asked Sanders how he reassures families who worry that their children may become the next victims. So uh, schools continue to be the safest place for kids to be during the day. Um, the research on that is clear. Even when you see these horrific um, uh, incidents like Nashville happen, it, schools still are inherently safe places to be. Uh, the staff, you're never, there's no other place you're going to walk into where the staff is trained on how to respond when there's an active shooter where the students know what to do, where they are drilled regularly on, on, on what to do. 
You don't find that at grocery stores. You don't find that at airports. You don't find it any other place. But in schools, that is what we do every day. But there's more that we still can do, still, still can and are doing. So across the state, we are, um, we have the safe, safe to learn, um, safe to help um, website where we're trying to track and monitor if, if somebody sees something, they can say something very easily. Um, we're putting together these social emotional hubs where teachers can gain access to resources to help become tra more trauma informed and recognize if a student is in trauma much earlier. So I think we're building the systems necessary to keep students safer. Um, and I think we can do it in a way that doesn't make uh, schools a hard place to be. We don't want to see more metal detectors go up across all of our schools. Well, and we seem to get into the same debate after every one of these things. Uh, there's a group of people that wants to ban assault weapons. Other people say we need more cops in schools. We need to arm teachers. We secure the buildings from within. Uh, where do you fall on that, especially in terms of having armed guard presence in schools? So, they, again, that's a local decision that districts would have to make locally at the state. I know as a former district leader, I continue to invest in school resource officers in our middle and high schools. Um, but really, that is a community. That's that's why we have school boards that are elected to make decisions locally that fit their local norms and their local ideals. Um, as at state level, what we can do is just continue to support what we know works, which is making sure that, that schools engage in the drills annually, the run, hide, fight drills, uh, tornado drills, fire drills, all the things that we know will keep kids safe, um, and then in, in ensure that we're investing in those best practices. Okay. And fun, where do you want Illinois to be five years from now? Can we say eight years? I, I, I'm hoping to go mm -hmm. eight. Um, so I, there's, I really want to spend uh, the next few years work, looking at our statewide system of support. We, you talked a little bit about the report card data. We apply labels to schools based on the performance of mm -hmm. kids on those on those assessments, and we label them anything from exemplary down to targeted support or comprehensive support. Um, regardless of what you label a school, I want to make sure that we are investing in a statewide system of support so that we're always in having a conversations with school districts about how they can improve um, outcomes for all kids. And that's that goes for the highest achieving school districts to the lowest achieving school districts. So really looking at our statewide system of support is, is uh, priority number one. Okay, Dr. Tony Sanders, the new state superintendent of schools, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time with you. That was Illinois State Superintendent of Schools, Tony Sanders. And you've been listening to Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying thank you for listening.